we were a, a team and uh, we had same hobbies, same uh, compassion about people, uh, same urge to do something. Uh, and probably there was a plan up there made for us and then it happened. So when she came to New Zealand, she was only 20, I think, and she turned down all these marriage proposals from very suitable young men and suddenly decided to accept yours, even though you were living in New Zealand. She was um, at home in Bangladesh. And having accepted the proposal, she got on a plane and flew here on her own to marry you and was married within, I think, a couple of days of getting here. And, I mean, that's an incredible story. What, what was it that so attracted her to you? Uh, yeah, I can answer that because only she would know. Uh, but what she told me, I can say, that um, uh, she, she wanted a friend, a husband, and also a guide because she was too attached to her father. Uh, when she lost her mother, she was only eight months old baby. So her father didn't marry again, just to look after her and her other siblings. So she was growing with her father, and she was learning to be matured in very young age. So uh, she wanted to have a best deal, she said, that in, in, in one... Uh, Troy, she wanted to have a best friend and also uh, a little bit older person than her to uh, replace her father and also a good husband with same hobbies and same passion. And uh, I would say, you know, women are more cleverer than we men. Yeah. Well, we know that, yeah. <laughs> And she was one of the well of them. You know, she definitely understood, you know, what she was bargaining for, and she got that. Mm. I she, don't know how much I gave it to, to her, but I tried. So she was very adventurous and and full of energy and dynamism, and was always, you know, getting stuck into stuff, whether it was finding a job or, as you describe her, learning to drive um, and helping out in the community. And when you were first here together, you were living in Nelson. Tell, tell us a little bit about life there. Yeah, she was, uh, she was a, a sports person. And I think her spirit, her energy, and uh, can-do attitude uh, came from her uh, sportsmanship. Uh, she was very good at sports. She was, uh, she was the best runner. Every uh, running uh, challenges, you know, she, she, she became first. So uh, from that attitude, you know, she was uh, adventurous and she was very brave. When I asked my father uh, to talk to her family whether she could come here in Auckland instead of me going there because that time I was, uh, I was sick. Uh, my father said, you know, are you crazy? You know, no 
Muslim girl usually would do that, or no family would allow uh, the, the daughter to go all the way to an unknown land to get married. So I said, you know, um, you never know, but uh, don't take the blame on your dad. You just tell them that my crazy son has <laughs> suggested that he's crazy. I don't support him. This is not my suggestion. This is his. But I'm just a messenger to find out. So uh, then he was convinced that he would pass the message. So when he did, then uh, her family obviously was hesitating, but she said yes, because her you know, heart felt the positivity. So she wanted to come. So that was very, very challenging. And um, you know, all credit to her. She came, and then uh, she was not a person to you know, sit at home. Uh, I wanted her to um, uh, stay home for a few months to uh, study more English. But she was, no, 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 take me wherever you go. Take me wherever you go. So that was good. She was outgoing too. So the more she went out, she found uh, some uh, wonderful uh, Kiwi ladies. And the sad thing was they became her friend, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) So... uh, yeah, she was very friendly, and, and it is true, you know, for example, I wanted to, uh, that time, you know, I was in between jobs, you know, because I left my job in Auckland, so I came to Christchurch and uh, uh, wandered around, and then I went to Nelson, so I was in between jobs, so she came, and then uh, I wanted to put her at work, so she applied for a few uh, fishing companies, like Salmon uh, packing salmon, and then they said, uh, have you got any experience? No. Uh, so, you know, then I said, what about if I want for, want for a job? Yeah, we'll give you a job. So I said, I remember, I said, okay, I'll take the job with one condition. What is it? Usually, the employee don't give condition to the employer. <laughs> I said, yeah, this is the bargain deal. If you give her job, I'll be in. Otherwise, I don't want your job. So that was on telephone. And then, uh, you know, the personal manager, you know, said, you, you are peculiar. You are peculiar. I want to see you guys. I want to see you guys. Can you come? And I said, yeah, why not? So, you know, Husna and I went, and then, uh, you know, I say that you don't know her. <laughs> you don't know her. Just give her one day and check. She will be faster than me. So then they agreed and they found I was true. <laughs> yeah. So since then, she never had any problem with job. Mm. Yeah, Nelson is a small town, so everybody knows everyone. So one place after another place. Mm. But wherever she went, you know, Lots of, you know, ladies were supporting her, you know, wonderfully, you know, they were supporting her. You don't understand, you don't understand. They would come, three or four, they will come and ask in between their work, but no one would come and ask me. <laughs> she had the gift. <laughs> yes. So you lived in Nelson, you know, quite happily uh, for a number of years um, until that terrible day. Yes. Do you want to tell us what happened then? 
Uh, you mean about my accident? Mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because that's kind of part of your journey in a way. It was almost like phase one yes, of the forgiveness. Yes, uh, you know, actually, you know, she dreamt about it. And, uh, you know, she was uh, showing her anxiety. Uh, she was uh, checking on me, you know, where I was going, did I come uh, in time. And, you know, I was saying, you know, what is happening with you? Oh, no, I had a dream. Uh, something I saw bad happened. Okay, take your time. I remember the story you told me where she wouldn't let you in at night because you came, you were home late. <laughs> she made you sit outside because you hadn't, you hadn't called her. <laughs> you don't have to talk about it. Yeah, no, that's okay. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, her dream, dream came true, you know. Uh, so had to deal with it. But uh, what, what is striking to me that she was new. She was not good in English. And uh, the amount of pressure and stress she took, I, I can't imagine. I was in coma for 14 days. So just to let people know, so Farid was knocked down um, in Nelson on the way to work by a, a drunk driver. Um, and it was quite a long recovery, a very long recovery down here in Burwood. Very difficult time. But what was quite amazing was that you forgave the young man who was driving even though he hadn't shown any particular remorse. And that sort of determination. That was easier, Raf. That part was easier. Uh, but the hardest part for me is uh, uh, her sacrifice in that recovery mm. journey. Mm. Uh, because uh, I am I'm a kind of person, I feel for others. So if someone I see is in pain, someone I feel the pain. So I'm, uh, I'm not sympathetic, but more than sympathetic. I feel that. So, you know, when I uh, remember the, my long recovery journey and her suffering and her dedication and her true love, why I say true love? True love I say because there are different kinds of loves. Uh, the love can be a selfish love. For example, you love me, I love you. You don't love me, I hate you. You know, so a long time ago I watched a, a comedy show. So the daughter came to the father and said, Dad, I love you. So Dad was clever, said, what are you up to? <laughs> she said, Dad. Can I have your credit card? He said, no. I hate you then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so love can be conditional. 
but love can be unconditional. So unconditional love, I call it true love. So, you know, the part I cannot uh, recover from is that for her true love, the amount of sacrifices she went through. So that's why I said forgiveness was easy. It did not cost me anything. But coming in terms about how she felt in that time when I was days after days, nights after nights, 14 days I was in coma. And then she was being told uh, by the medical professionals, go home. The chance is very slim. Only 7% chance that he would be alive. Even uh, someone told her, go and find another husband. You know? How did she manage this? Amazing. She didn't leave the hospital the whole time. So there she was the winner. Well, and she's an incredible woman, and the way you talk about her in the book, you know, just tells a bigger story about her and her devotion to you and to the community. And after the accident, when you moved to Christchurch and you had your homeopathy um, practice, and, you know, she seemed to be doing everything. I mean, she worked in the community in so many different ways, supporting the Bangladeshi community, um, acting as a midwife, a teacher, English language teacher she did so much um and you were you know both well ensconced in the community you had just the teaching at the mosque in terms of spiritual affairs and then 15th of march and i know this is not easy mm -hmm. to talk about and you, you can talk about it in, in any way you like but one thing that stuck out for me in the book was obviously the day itself you were there um through the whole thing um she was there but you never crossed paths although you, you discovered her story of you know great heroism afterwards and how she'd helped people to 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 get in and out of the mosque um the the day itself the 12 hours after the attack that you describe is it, quite incredible um, to read. Um, and that the amount that you emotionally packed into that 12 hours and the, the process that you went through is, is quite extraordinary. It's not like you had six months or a year to kind of think about this. You, you did it all in that 12-hour period when you went to bed at 2 a.m. that night, having had to talk to your daughter and field calls from everywhere. And you created this almost structure for yourself to respond. And that structure was that decision to forgive the person who had carried out this atrocity. Uh, so here are two parts. Uh, one is uh, her contribution on that day. And second was one is my, my role on that day and then after that day. So uh, her contribution uh, was great, uh, I would say, you know, greater than me. 
because what I had done was not as much, you know, she had done. She had uh, uh, sacrificed her life for others. For me, she could have run away. The eyewitnesses said that she came in and out three times. So uh, third time when she uh, went out, the gunman was going away, so he shot her. So uh, she gave her life, you know, gave her life for saving others and most particularly for saving me. And, uh, and that is, you know, beyond, you know, beyond uh, my description. Uh, I, when I think about it, I don't need to think about it because this thought is with me all the time. But a couple of things uh, gives me pain. Uh, because I'm a human, I have feeling. I, I grieve, I cry, I feel sad. But I never feel angry. I never feel any hate. Even when the shooting was going on, I never felt any hate or any anger. I was calm, I was peaceful in my heart. But I was in pain, a lot of pain. Three things particularly still gives me pain about her. One is, I'll start from the last. The one thought, always it with me, that how did she feel? <laughs> what was her feeling when she was done? She was shot. I wish I knew. I hope she did not suffer. <clears throat> the second thing was, uh, or is, it comes to my mind always. She was lying down on the concrete. That picture went viral. And a couple of hours after that, someone showed me. And the third thing, always, stuck in my mind is uh, <clears throat> the eyewitness said that she and I were so close because she went right inside the mosque. She went right inside where usually I used to in a pray on the front row on the right hand side, just, you know, uh, in front of a window. So she went there in the window. And later I went in and I saw piles of dead bodies. So she went there and she looked for me. 
And then she went to that window, and she was looking straight. But I was only a few meters away, outside there. I could not see her, she could not see me. The eyewitnesses said to me that he was outside, and when he went out, the window was broken. So many people, you know, went throughout. So, you know, he was unconscious, and then he just gained his consciousness, and, you know, he was our neighbor. You know, he said that, you know, he heard Husna say, what are you doing here? Run, run, it is dangerous. So, you know, he just got up, and then he got some direction, and then he ran away. When he ran away, then he realized, what was she doing there? Why didn't I pull her and say, auntie, come with me? So the irony was that if she could, you know, open her head out a bit and looked around, I was there, and I could see her, she could see me. But we believe in fate, that what meant to happen, happened. But I can't uh, forget about the fact that we were so close yet too far, very far. Now about my part. So my part is, I say that I never felt angry. When the shooting began, my thought was it could not be one person. I never imagined that it would be one person. I thought it would be a group. And probably, you know, some people will go into the ladies' room, some people will kill children and female, some would come this way, some would attack from front, some would attack from back. I was thinking, you know, that probably it would be a, you know, a organized, you know, serious mm -hmm. attack to finish everyone. So uh, I saw that people around me, you know, all of them, they ran out. So I was uh, left alone in that, in, the, in that room. And also I saw in front of me people were coming out of the main room and they were uh, keeping the exit door very busy and there was no way I could get out. So I made my peace in my mind. I thought that that was my last day. Even I was uh, smiling at one point when I, when I thought that oh, 21 years ago, medical board said 7% chance and I have now, you know, here sitting 21 years after. Why should I complain? I should not complain. So I said, you know, Allah, if this is my last day, so be it. Yeah. But then, you know, I uh, came out when I saw there was, that the day, you know, a door was empty. It was very painful. It was very uh, traumatic. But I was not afraid of death because one day it will embrace me. But every shot was like going through my heart. Every shot was telling me one more dead, one more dead, one more dead. And uh, from behind, you know, I was trying to, you know, uh, think. And all I had was questions. No answers. Who is doing it? Why, you know, a person or a group, you know, why would they do, do it? 
what would be the reaction, how New Zealand is going to react, how the world is going to react, how the young people are going to react. Is there going to be a riot? Is there going to be an economic boycott? All sorts of big, big things were coming in my mind. In a way, it was good because my mind was busy with thinking all those things. Otherwise, if my heart was focusing only in what is happening there, you know, it would have given up. My mind would have given up. And at the same time, I was not angry. I was not even hating the killer or killers. You know, at one point, I also smiled at the back. And because I smiled, the reason was I said, thank God, I'm not crazy like him. If I was crazy like him or crazy like them, then I would have been acting like them. So, you know, you gave me reasoning, a good heart, a loving heart, and I'm thankful for that. Because whoever is doing this, he or them are not going to be, you know, applauded for what they're doing. They are not going to be honored or respected by people. So I was trying to console myself from this side. When I uh, found out about her, it was too much because uh, uh, I had a hope that, uh, you know, Husna was clever, very clever, very clever. I knew that she would help others, but I had a, you know, positive feeling that she would survive, she would run away, she would do something. But uh, the news was uh, very devastating. Uh, so then, you know, I had to surrender myself to my faith, surrender myself to God. And I, from, for the peace of my mind, I decided quickly to do a few things. Number one, I decided that no matter what happened, I have to choose love in my heart. And that's the only way I can feel peace. If I allow other things, my peace will be taken away. No matter what happened, the second thing I decided that I would not be angry. I would not even bring that part in me. Because if anger kicks, anger kicks in, I'll lose my peace in my heart. The third thing that I would except without any complaining. Things happens. I don't have to understand now why, but I would accept. Because if I don't, I cannot bring her back. So these three things I had in my heart, and then in a few minutes, I regained my control, and then I started planning. You know, I started planning that, you know, Shifa was at school, you know, who should pick her up, you know, how she, to, she should come home, you know, and I decided I would speak to her. It has to be me, even though it will be a hard work, but, you know, early intervention is better. That's what I believe. She would be in trauma, I'm in trauma, and we too has to face it. So I... Uh, you know, one of the relatives 
pick her up and I said to her, never ever discuss anything about what happened, leave it with me, I have to tell her. I knew it was uh, extremely hard job, but you know, I did it and she has uh, written it in, in her piece. And then I wanted to be alone actually. I wanted to be really alone. Phone was ringing and I didn't want to answer any phone. You know, I thought I should process my grief by myself. But people, neighbor, friends, they forced <laughs> their way into me. And that was good. Because they kept me talking. They were fearful. They were angry. You know, they were crying. So I had to use all my knowledge and reason to calm them down, to make them, you know, peaceful. And actually, it was helping me. It was helping me. And then, uh, you know, night at night, you know, we talked to uh, one another. Shifa was there, and we put Shifa as our leader. You know, that, you know, Shifa, we have two questions, and you should decide. She said, I'm still young. I said, no, you are not, because you have been in... Uh, uh, a leadership role from, you know, since primary school. So, you know, I want you to answer. And with analysis. So the first question was, what do we do now? What do we do now? Do we moan and groan and feel bitter and destroy ourselves? Or we turn around and use this grief as a power, a power to work for peace, to do something better? Which option should we take? So she gave an analysis and she said, the second one. We have to turn around. Good. The second question was, how should we feel towards the killer? And then, after her analysis, she said, we should feel sympathetic. Okay, why? Well, because she said, you know, because, you know, look, the way I look at it, you know, I was, you know, getting all, uh, all the loving environment, and it was good for me. So I understand about love. But for him, maybe something has gone wrong in his life, and that's why, you know, he has chosen hate. So, you know, I should feel uh, thankful that I feel about love, and if someone is not, I should give sympathy. So that was our decision. Next day, you know, I, I wanted to work as a team. I knew what I had in my mind, but I wanted my daughter to tell me, you know, and I wanted to see if two of us were in the same page, then like Husna and me, we were an unshakable team. I wanted the same teamwork. So I was very pleased that you know, she and I had you know, the same vision. And, and since then, we just carried on. So, so when you came out um, and you gave that wonderful speech about the volcano mm. um, and, and choosing love over hate, there was probably not um, a unanimous um, support 
for that view so soon after the attack. But I want to read you something um, from one of the mothers uh, from her victim impact statement at the sentencing, which we'll talk about. And this was Jana Ezzat, so Hussein Almari's mother. And this was on the first day of the sentencing. And it, it, it just changed everything. Um, so she said to, you know, the terrorist, he was sitting, you know, 10 metres away from her. She said, I decided to forgive you, Mr. Tarrant, because I don't have hate. I don't have revenge. She said directly to the terrorist. In our Muslim faith, we say, if we are able to forgive, forgive. I forgive you. And she looked directly at him and said this. Damage was done and Hussein will never be here. So I only had one choice to forgive you. And, and this, this is the media, but, you know, we, we could all see it. We were there. You know, he nodded in acknowledgement of her words before blinking profusely and wiping one of his eyes. And it was, it changed the whole approach to sentencing in terms of how people felt about speaking. But it was really the, there were lots of anger directed towards him. And that seemed to just wash over him. But this was, seemed to be the only thing that kind of caught him slightly unawares. And, and he, he appeared as a quite small and consequential. There was kind of nothing there, nothing to say, nothing to do. Do you, I mean, you've been on this journey of forgiveness since the 15th of March. You went all around the world. You visited the Oval Office. You met with Mr. Trump. Can we forgive him? I don't know. That's a different <laughs> question. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can answer that. But I think, you know, Jana's words, in some respect, were the first public statement of forgiveness that we've really heard since your words, and that, that they had quite a big impact. So how do you see that kind of the journey of forgiveness? Um, and, and to be clear, this is forgiving the person, not the action. Did you, how did you feel about that, about what she said? Did that make you feel a bit better? Did you see that? the community is starting to come round to that understanding? What, what were your feelings about the sentencing in general? I, you know, I salute her. Uh, she has uh, lost her son, and I, uh, I remember after, the, after my speech in the remembrance service, uh, she came to me and she said to me, uh, Brother Farid, if you ever go to see him, please take me with you. And I said, yeah, but are you sure, you know, will not uh, it be too painful for you? She said, it will be, but I can do it. So, you know, I was testing her and I said, uh, okay, so hypothetically, let's say you and I, we go there. Yeah, we meet him. What are you going to tell him? You know, I wanted to find out about her strength and about her mind. And she said something, and, you know, I, it was amazing, amazing. She said that I would look at him, and I'll tell him, you took my son away but I consider you as my son. Uh, 
I said, you are very powerful. You are more powerful than me. And yeah, it will be a very good message. She has a very good message. It's not about the Mr. Killer now, because we know that he represents so many other people who hate Muslims. And he is one of them. My target or her target, we should not just target about him. Because we have taken the path of peace and forgiveness, we should target all the young, angry people. Even though if they are Muslims, in the name of Muslim, if they are angry, or non-Muslims, or from any groups or religions or tribe. Because we believe that hate does not represent any religion or any nationality or any race. We all know inside our heart, because we all are loving. We know that hate is devastating. And we know that terrorism and terrorizing does not represent any group of people, any nationality. And that's why, you know, in my book, you know, I deliberately, I avoided even putting the name that he is Australian, because some of our media, they mention, you know, Australian. I refuse to say Australian because Australians are, you know, wonderful people, and the 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 reaction, the compassionate reaction they have shown after this, you know, it will be unfair to label somebody, you know, attach his name with a country or with a race, you know. I don't like this. So. That's why I'm saying that our target, my target, is not just one group of young people. They can be from anywhere. And that people either hating this way or that way, they have a lot of connection with this incident and also with him. I don't know people who are haters out there. I don't know them. I cannot talk to them. But if I talk to him or through him, then the message will go to them. Mm. So, if someone hates you, it comes from the heart. Can you legislate the heart? You can't. You can increase number of policies. Okay? You can prevent something. But you cannot change the heart. You can have lots and lots of prisons. Yeah, that will help to contain the criminals. You cannot also change the heart. So, side by side with policing and with prison and justice system, there should be words, actions to change people's heart. Janna's word in his reaction was the proof mm. that you know, after all, he's a human being. And, you know, an Australian journalist asked me, can you summarize in one sentence, what do you call him? And I said, my 
misguided human brother. So how can you know how can you guide a human brother into the guidance? If you give hate in return of hate, it will not work. Anger in return of anger, it will not work. Violence in return of violence, it will work. Only it will work if you can give your love, your forgiveness, and then him, or maybe if he's not him, maybe so many other people who are watching, maybe you can touch their heart. Maybe they will think, what am I doing? People I hate, they are saying love. You know? So I adore her, her stick pit, and I know she is a, you know, a great mother. You know, she is a, um, a great human being, and I really appreciate what she had done. Well, we'll stop there for a second and um, maybe take some questions or comments from the audience. Is there anyone who'd like to ask Farid a question? Yes, lady in the third row there. I think we've got a, a mic which is coming across. Thank you. It's just wonderful seeing and listening to you. Just um, a couple of pretty ordinary questions. Can you tell us how you came to be in New Zealand and why? And also how your daughter is doing and what the future holds for her, please. So the first one, how did I come to, be come New, to Zealand? New Zealand? Yep. And what was the second one? How is your daughter doing? And what how is my daughter what, what doing? Is she doing? Okay, great questions. Uh, yeah, brief answer is, um, yeah, I was uh, in the eye of uh, military government. I was uh, a troublemaker. <laughs> yes, I was a student leader at the time. You know, I was uh, uh, secretary general for Select uh, Polytechnic Student Union. So we had about four and a half thousand students. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, when I was uh, a student leader that time, you know, the military, uh, they took over uh, the power by gun. And then they gave the student leaders at that time, like me, uh, two options. One, support them to be in power and get uh, lots of facilities, or to suffer the consequences. So probably I was one of the foolish ones who took the suffering. And that's why it was too much, uh, especially my mom. You know, she was very attached to me, but she pushed me to uh, go somewhere safe so she could sleep better. So uh, I came and I filed my case, and uh, uh, the, the immigration, they accepted my claim, and uh, I am ever grateful to New Zealand and New Zealand people for opening their hearts for me. Uh, I, uh, wherever I go, I talk about it, and uh, I will keep talking about it, uh, about uh, the great uh, hearts of New Zealanders, and I'm ever grateful. Uh, the second question, how Shifa is doing? 
Shifa is uh, doing very well. Um, she uh, was uh, down for first few months, uh, but uh, she had a, a great uh, support base from her friends. Uh, all her best friends are uh, non-Muslim Kiwis. Um, uh, Shifa is very, uh, very much a people's person. Uh, she is a She's known as, as a compassionate one. She would look out how other students are doing. She has been a leader. If they have any problem, they will come to her. They you know, uh, trust her. She keeps the uh, confidence. So when uh, she had her hard time, you know, they came around you know, with their full force. And uh, it is wonderful to see that you know, how you know, uh, uh, you know, people can uh, come out of their, you know, faith cocoon, and then, you know, they, they, they come closer to one another as human, because Shifa's faith is one, and some of their faith is different, and some of them, they do not believe in anything, but overall, they believe in humanity and, you know, uh, love and compassion, and, and they are supporting her. Supporting her. Uh, Shifa was uh, uh, sad, but she did not go into the, you know, into the path of depression. Uh, I helped her with a few homeopathy remedies, and uh, the option for counseling was open for her, but Shifa said she did not need it, uh, because uh, whenever she feels down, she talks to me, so, you know, uh, we cry together, you know, we advise one another, and then, you know, we manage. So she is catching up with her study, and she is very, very busy. She is in year 12, and I would say uh, she is doing very, very well. Thank you for asking. Well done. Thank you. Sounds like a mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other questions? Yeah. It's okay. Thank you so much for sharing such a strong and powerful and sad and beautiful um, things from your life. Uh, thank you so much. My questions are a little bit more probably harsh, but I want to know your opinion in terms of, do you think, two, two questions, do you think there is racism in New Zealand? And do you think if things have changed uh, regarding racism after the March 15th? I hope I pronounced that word properly, I'm not sure. Yes, the, the question there for Thank the audience, you. so do you think there's racism yeah, yeah, in New yeah. Zealand, and how do you think it's changed mm. post 15th Look, of March? Uh, I do not use this term. I do not call it racism. I do not call it uh, terrorism. You can call me old-fashioned, because I believe in the root. The root is wrong is wrong, right is right. You can name it. You know, there are so lots of names are given, you know, they're, you know, politically named. So, for example, uh, you know, killer is a killer. You can call him racist, you can call him hatist, you can call him terrorist, you can call him violent, whatever word, word you give. But I believe in the root word, killer is a killer, it is wrong, and it is accepted by each and every human being because the right thing is reason, 
in a, in, is resonated by every heart. So I would not call it racism. I would call it misunderstanding. Yes, there are lots of misunderstanding there. You know, <laughs> there are lots of misunderstanding. <laughs> There's a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah? Misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so, for example, I I go to different different uh, gatherings, and sometimes I receive, you know, uh, very friendly questions. And people say, "Look, Mr. Ahmed, you know, uh, I want to ask you a question because I believe that you would not mind." I said, "You know, bring it." So, you know, a uh, question even comes that, you know, opposite question comes, uh, uh, that you are a Muslim, Mr. Ahmad, do you hate us? Okay? Where is it coming from? Misunderstanding. So, whether we call it racism or other things, I think that misunderstanding are there. Lots of misunderstanding are there. And because of the misunderstanding, people develop a fear. And from the fear, people start thinking, oh, if I do not do something to finish them, then they are going to finish me. And that's how the violence comes. So, um, you know, from homeopathic perspective, you know, we say that, like in a Newton's theory, that there is a, a, an action equal and opposite to the reaction. So if you feel that I hate you, then your obvious heart reaction would be hating me back. And probably I don't hate you, but probably I do not appear as if I do not hate you. And as a result, the misunderstanding arises. And from those misunderstandings, lots of bad things happen. So yes, uh, there are lots of misunderstandings in New Zealand. But having said that, uh, it is not as bad as so many other countries in this world. And, uh, and especially uh, after the 15th of March attack, the whole world have seen that how New Zealand New Zealanders have replaced one hate by millions and millions and millions of love. So we have still work to do. Whatever misunderstanding we have, you know, we need to work together. We need communities to come forward, religious groups to come forward, you know, uh, civil society to come forward, government to come forward, and then we need to work together that we need to diagnose that what are the things are causing misunderstanding and what sort of plan can we have together we will work to eliminate those mis misunderstandings. So that, that is at least one thing we need to learn seriously and practice seriously in New Zealand because we want our future generation to feel safe and to have a peaceful life. Thank you very much. That lady here. Uh, thank you for your words of wisdom and love. Thank you, too, for sharing your personal story and Hasna's story. Thank you for the courage to share that story with us. Thank you, too, to the wider Muslim community for the love and understanding you have shown the wider community in such an extraordinary, 
traumatic circumstances. I hope that what you have all taught us and are still showing us today will lead perhaps to beginnings of greater understanding within New Zealand. I, I don't have any questions. I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much, Dean. Okay, we've got one more question over there, and then we'll wrap up. Aku kuia e te puna roe mata he fare tangata he ukai po. Ko te ohaki, te atawhai te iwi, te whenua, te wairere nei. So waiata for Husna, is her legacy, which is passing on to us. Um, the the peace of the people, the, the flowing of the water. Um, Bracet feet through the night, through the people in the, the house of the people. Norera tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā rātātou katoa. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's, a, that's a, a lovely place for us to finish. Um, I want to uh, thank everyone for coming and listening. And Fareed, thank you for opening your heart. I know it's an incredibly difficult subject. Um, I want to just tell people, here's the book. It's beautifully written and has some great anecdotes. And all the royalties do go to St. John Ambulance. Um, there's a lot more to say on this subject, but I think I just want to leave it today with a, a quote from um, one of the uh, your community friends, supporters, um, Dave Woodbury, um, who, when hearing um, about Husna's death, immediately said, the world has lost an angel. And I think from reading your book, we can all see that. So thank you very much. Our hearts go out to you. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for